Standby. Hello, this is Penn Jillette. The possibility exists that if I were to actually listen to the lackadaisical Librocubicularist podcast featuring host Jordan Maywood, I would potentially enjoy it. A ringing endorsement. Potentially enjoy this episode, which will start after the other half of my magical comedy duo, Teller, gives us a countdown. Take it away, Teller. Hello! Welcome to the LibroCube. Uh, my name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the lackadaisical LibroCubrialist. Today is Monday within the LibroCube, specifically Movie Monday, because that is what I have designated all Mondays to be Movie Monday. So, Monday. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Monday. Move over slightly, because we're going to need to make room for some movies, specifically four of them. Make, make fours... Four movies worth of room, Monday. I say to you, on to you, Monday. Oh my god. Uh, what else? Uh, what else is in the news today? No, that's uh, not right. Something I like to say at the top of every show is that there will be spoilers. I like saying that because there will be spoilers. And um, saying the truth is what I'm all about. I'm all about truth, justice, and the Canadian way. Which is free healthcare and less guns than the American way. Hmm, yeah, that's how that works. If anything, Americans, because of having more guns, should get free healthcare because of all the gun shootings and things. Yeah, at least at least have one or the other. Have these should be your options: less guns, less to no guns, and then you have to pay for healthcare, or lots of guns and then you get free healthcare. But not having but having lots of guns and no and, and not free healthcare, it, it seems silly. It, it seems not like a like a smart thing to do. To be one hundred percent homage with you, and I always am one hundred percent homage with you. Okay, we're getting derailed here. Let's get back on these rails by saying that if you like what you hear, and by that I mean this podcast and not the sort of ambient sounds within the room you are currently in although I'm sure they are beautiful ambient sounds, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. No. No. That is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend, perhaps. You rate, subscribe, and comment within iTunes, as that is what helps podcasts grow larger. It's what helps them grow larger. Thank you for those who have done so, so very much appreciated. The friendly neighbors to the south, the Americans that I've already mentioned, uh, you w- you win. You you beat Canadians as far as rating, subscribing, and commenting to this podcast and podcasts in general. You you guys down there, so so very impressed with your uh, love and apparent desire to listen to podcasts which is ever-growing throughout the world, but you guys are on the pulse. You're on the podcast pulse. The podcast pulse is what you're on. So uh, I love you for that. Kisses. I think all of that said, if I have said all that I have supposed to said, hmm? we'll take us into our last piece of podcast-related business, which is today's sponsor, which is Lycanthrope of Barrier... What? Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Sometimes these spots is really difficult to understand, even for me, who, um, you know, had to dig up these sponsors and ask these companies to sponsor the show. Yes, that is what is happening. Uh, Lycanthrope of Barrier Avenue. Okay, wait. Let me, uh, take three. If I had one of those things that you, like, you snap together and, and then they're made of wood, I think. Lycanthrope of Barrier Avenue brand Quaaludes. I got it all out there. Once again, today's sponsor is Lycanthrope of Barrier Avenue brand Quaaludes. Is what today's sponsor is. Ah. Okay, well, uh, I suppose with that said, we should move in to today's movie Monday. But wait, should we? No, because I will give you a little behind-the-scenes action, and that is, this is just the tip. <laughs> yes, I'm just recording the opening to this movie Monday episode. Uh, it's one of those occasions where it worked out well for me to do so, so that is what I've done. I've uh, actually, further behind the scenes, we're really going behind this candelabra, I, I think is what the phrase is, maybe, behind the candelabra. I don't have a candelabra. Let's pretend the headlights on my car are candelabras. Headlabra. Headlight Lalaraburas. Yeah, Headlaraburas. That's what they're called. Oh my god. Anyways, uh, and that is I've also recorded the beginning of a video games day episode in which I'm talking of Tomb Raider. I actually don't know. I have it written down somewhere which order these are going in. I think for video games day was first. That's why I recorded the opening first. So it's a little peek into my brain, a little peek to what goes on in the making of a podcast. Hmm. Uh, presumably it does. I, I don't know. I don't know anyone else who makes podcasts, so uh, I assume they do things like this. I assume I am not insane. Well, see, that being said, I am not fully sane. So, you know, stuff. Uh, how about I, just to tease it, although that makes zero sense to do, tell you the movies I'm going to talk about in your point of view, from your point of view. It's going to seem like seconds before I start talking about them. For me, it's going to be a number of days before I start talking about them. So, you know, um, again, things and stuff, just, just words. These are words. The movies in question are Prisoners... Movie the first. Movie the second, Philomena. Philomena? I like Philomena. Sounds, sounds better. Number three, Welcome to the Jungle. And number four, Wolf of Wall Street. Alright, so those are uh, the four movies I will in moments start talking of after you hear a transition. The transition, which will happen as soon as I push this button that says transition that I'm pushing right now. Transition. Prisoners. Prisoners is a film that uh, the missus really wanted to see. I actually had virtually no desire to watch, but I'm glad I did watch. Yeah, I, I think that's the underlying takeaway for this movie. Uh, it just seemed like not something that was up my alley, and 
that combined with being long, like I think it's over two hours long, and the fact that I thought I would have difficulty seeing Hugh Jackman in a role other than Wolverine, which uh, didn't happen, all contributed to the fact that I'm going to give this movie an unprofessional rating, unprofessional in the sense that I'm doing it at the top of the review and most professionals would wait till the end, but if I don't do it when I remember to do it, sometimes I don't do it at all. So, uh, I'm going to go three, very, very solid three with potential for four. Yeah. Like, uh, right after we were done watching it, I gave it a four. Now that I've let it stew a bit, uh, I'm going to go closer to a three, just because I don't think I would ever watch it again. Which is what I use my threes for. Enjoyed while watching, but would not watch again. The Misses gave it a four, which, if you know her kooky scale, is incredibly high, as most movies get uh, ones and twos, with the exception of, I don't know, let's just go Rush Hour, which gets a five out of five. <laughs> so, obviously, Prisoner's not as good as Rush Hour, the movie, right? Yep. Obviously. Now there was 12 Years a Slave. 12 Years a Slave, I think she also gave four. Four to five, too. Um, Rush Hour, obvious. Way better than 12 Years a Slave. Uh, five out of five. Uh-huh. I don't remember at the top of this if it said anything along the lines of that whole based on a true story spiel, but uh, it kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of felt like it might have been anyways, maybe, potentially. Hugh Jackman is playing the father of a kidnapped little girl. Hmm. Not good at all. Uh, along with their neighbor, played by Torrance Howard, which uh, is a name you may not readily recognize, at least I did not know what his name was, but uh, he's one of those actors who I think, if you go to his IMVD page, IMDb, and get a look at his mug, uh, I'm sure it's someone you will recognize and have seen before. He plays another father of another little girl who uh, both got kidnapped at the same time. Jesus crackers. Right off the top, the missus and I were talking about this whole sort of scenario where it was these two little girls walking from one neighbor house to the other neighbor house, and that is, it was during this walk that, were, that they were kidnapped, and how nowadays, compared to when we were kids, and we were both born in 81, it was a, a typical day in the life of a kid was, oh, all right, see ya, mom and dad, I'll, uh, it's, it's, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning, I'll be back for dinner time, I'm going to go out and play. But uh, I don't think that's something that really happens or sadly can really happen nowadays. Is that a fact? I don't have kids, nor do I want them. So uh, if you have kids, would you let them just go out and play for the entire day? Or do they have to be sort of constantly monitored for fear of creepy friggin' people? Scary stuff. Scary stuff. Perhaps... One of the many reasons why uh, bringing kids into this horrible world is not a good idea. Hmm. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> uh, this movie has one of what has turned into one of my favorite inside jokes with me and the missus, and that comes in the form of Jake Gyllenhaal, who's playing the, the grizzled... Uh, badass cop who's on the case, who's, who's never lost a case. 
every case he's ever been put on has been solved, but this one's really giving him some troubles. Anyways, the inside joke comes from the fact that I don't know if this is Jake Gyllenhaal's everyday amount of blinking, or if he decided that the role of this cop deserved to have an incredible amount of blinking. But uh, by the end of the movie, we were calling him, and I will say I did come up with his name, because I'm rather proud of it, uh, we were calling him Jake Blinkenhall. Just because, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why. Maybe he had something in his eyes. It was this, this movie was filmed by an onion-cutting factory. I don't know, but he blinks more than any human being should blink. And very, very aggressive blinks. Aggressive blinks. I think, potentially, because I like the name Jake Blinkenhall so much, that might work its way into the title of this episode. We'll see. We'll see, though. I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to put the cart before the horse? I don't know if that makes sense. So, uh, this cop finds a motorhome that was seen in the area at the time of this kidnapping. A motorhome that is being driven by, oh, did I write down his name? Paul Dano? Oh, shit, is that his real name? Paul Dano? Anyways, another actor who uh, potentially you will recognize if you see his face. And uh, not only was he seen in the same RV, but uh, sort of fled the scene when the cops tried to uh, get inside and have a look at what's going on in there. So it turns out that uh, the girls were not in the RV. So after a couple of days of holding this guy, they had to let him go. Now this guy has uh, a little uh, mental type problems. He's a little slow, I guess you would say. As they describe it in the movie, he has the sort of uh, mental development of a five-year-old, and yet still can drive, so that's strange. Hugh Jackman is convinced, absolutely 100% convinced, that if this guy doesn't have his daughters, he knows where they are. So, what he does is kidnaps him. Yeah. So the prisoners in this are not just the two little girls, but also this guy. And in order to, uh, I guess, wring the information out of him, Hugh Jackman feels the need to resort to torture. What the fuck? That's where this movie takes some pretty, pretty dark turns. Um, probably most in the form of boarding this guy up in a shower stall and then having the faucets on the outside that he can have either incredibly scalding hot or incredibly freezing and using that to torture him after you have beat him so bloody that if you beat him anymore he will probably die. Yeah, pretty, pretty fucked up. Now, that's fucked up right there, but something that I think threw a very, very interesting twist in it is the potential, eventually, is the thought that, and this comes up in many forms and little tidbits that pop up along the way, the thought that there exists the potential that this guy, this five-year-old mental capacity guy, actually had nothing to do with it, and he's just being tortured by Hugh Jackman for no reason. So that is fucked up. One of those things that sort of pops up is that there is a... Another, let's say, crazy bad guy who the police believe may have had something to do with it. Ah, interesting. 
Now, uh, this movie, uh, I've done pretty good so far without giving anything away, and I'll just say one more thing that really doesn't give it away per se, but it's something that I was very, very proud of myself, and it's one of those examples that I have from time to time of, I love and hate when I can make a prediction in a movie that comes true. I love it because I feel, you know, pretty smart, in this case in particular, and hate it because it means the movie is uh, predictable, and I do not like predictable movie. In this case, uh, it came in the form, and this really not giving away who the what what's going to happen in the movie. It's just that uh, there's a couple of shots of a car at a house. It is at the house of the uh, Paul Danos who's the kid that, not the kid, but the adult that uh, Hugh Jackman is torturing. At his house, there's this car. And it was just the way I think some of the shots, and when I say shots, I mean camera shots and camera angles and some of the way things were filmed that I thought, you know what, and I even said it out loud to the missus, I think there's something going on with that car. And then uh, by the end of the movie, we find out what was going on with that car. Mm. In a very rare movie Monday episode, I'm not going to spoil that movie and let you know what uh, what the deal is, because uh, it's some twists and turns, and I don't have to do it, because I need to move on to my next movie. Anyways, see? Sometimes it works out good. Next movie called Philomena, or Philomena, or Philomena. Mm, yeah. I actually just realized I don't actually know what that title is from and what it means. Was that the, the old lady's name? Philomena? Maybe. Uh, this movie stars Judy Dench, or Dame Judy Dench, I do believe. She is a dame. Get a, get a load of those gams on that dame? No, not that kind of dame. Dame is in, you know, been knighted, but the lady version of knighted, I think is what a dame is. And the reason I decided I wanted to see this movie, Steve Coogan. I goddamn love Steve Coogan. Just period. I've never seen him in anything I haven't thoroughly enjoyed. This probably not highest on my list of Steve Coogan things to watch. Uh, and, I, and I went into it knowing that was probably possible just because this is not a comedy per se. There's the odd laugh, definitely, but definitely falls harder into the drama category dramedy, let's call it. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with Steve Coogan, what you should do, what you have to do, is check out anything involving him and Alan Partridge, because it is just some of the funniest things you will ever see, period. Uh, sort of stemming from my love of British comedies of all sorts is my love of him. So, there you go. This one is based on a true story, definitely. Uh, it says right on the bat, at the end of the movie, shows some pictures of the actual people. So I always take that with a grain of salt and wonder how much was sort of changed and flipped around for the purposes of this movie to make it more quote-unquote interesting. But uh, yeah, but still, yeah, but still. It's the story of Judy Dench's character, who at a very young age was in impregnated. Oh, and this is in the days when when you were impregnated and not married. It was very, very bad. Mm. 
So she moved into a convent, um, and her kid was there and could see her kid once a day or something, and I guess sort of gave up all rights and responsibilities to this kid. And she was a horrible, horrible sinner for getting pregnant and stuff like that. Oh, God, religion. Let's try to steer away from that aspect of it. Maybe we will, maybe we won't, I don't know. It turns out, within this convent, and maybe in the whole sort of convent system as a whole, I don't know, we don't know, it was common practices in situations such as this to sell the kids. To sell the kids. To sell the kids. To sell the kids. Selling of kids. So, uh, this girl's, Judy Dench's son, was sold to an American family. And it uh, sounds like that's quite often what the case was. It was rich American families coming over to buy kids from the church. Is what happened in real life. Okay. So, you know, just remember that next time you're touting your religion. Uh, Steve Coogan comes into this uh, because he used to be like a hoity-toity journalist, but has sort of fallen out of grace because of a scandal of some sort. I never really caught on what exactly it was, uh, but it's not too important. So he takes this job for a quote-unquote human interest story, which he has always sort of poo-pooed as very, very light and airy, quote-unquote, journalism. Uh, the only reason I think he's doing it is to try to remain in the biz of journalism as well as maybe make some money because he's having trouble paying the bills with, you know, not working and stuff. So when Judy Dench's daughter, daughter? I think it was daughter, comes to him with this story, at first he's like, no, that's ridiculous, who cares? and is a bit of a jerk. Maybe not that jerky, but kind of jerky. Uh, eventually, he decides to take up the story, and he and Judy Dench travel to this convent, learn the sort of truth, not at first of the selling of kids, but of the, I guess, adopting, is how the church, how the convent sisters, nuns, told him, told them what happened. Uh, this leads them to the United States of America. Mm, interesting. And that's kind of uh, the traveling of these two is what this movie is basically all about. Well, it's not what it's about, but that's what the majority of the movie is. Steve Coogan, <laughs> almost Steve Coogan-esque, little Alan Partridge-y, maybe a little bit in the character, which I liked. And then Judy Dench, who's playing... Uh, I think a good, and I didn't realize this until right the second, a good example, she's playing a little bit of a Rose Nyland. And when I say Rose Nyland, you may not know who I mean, unless you've ever watched The Golden Girls. She's playing a bit of an idiot. Someone who's sort of incredibly nice, but also incredibly dumb. And there's just a myriad of... And, the, and that's some of my favorite parts. There's sort of a myriad of examples of her just being incredibly dumb and naive and just not getting average everyday things and then Steve Coogan just sort of rolling his eyes he's sort of the straight man to her dumb girl I think is a way you could look at it uh, so her son ended up that he was gay and a politician who didn't come out of the closet 
but uh, died of AIDS. Jesus Christ. So, it was all very, very sad. Uh, good for, I suppose, Steve Coogan's story. And then it's that sort of debate within his brain of, am I... Because, obviously, in a movie such as this, the two characters traveling together are going to uh, hate each other, and then by the end of the movie, love each other. So he's like, should I use this story to profit, despite the fact that I feel almost like I'm using this old lady? Uh, obviously he does, because it was made into a book and a big story, and, well, this movie. Uh, the cool little twist... And I don't know, this is one of those things, I don't know if it happened in the actual real story. The cool little twist is that the the dead son, uh, sort of his last dying wish was to be buried at the uh, convent where he was adopted from. So uh, it's sort of came full circle. Uh, Judy Dench and and Steve Coogan make their way back to where they started in the, conv- in, in the convent and uh, pay their respects. Lovely... Uh, good, good, good movie. Uh, I'm gonna go, would I watch it again? I kind of don't think I would watch it again, I've seen it, so for that reason I'll go three. But definitely some four moments, definitely some four moments. Folks, I'm at work! Uh, I have two more movies, so we will do those on the drive home, I will say, though, as I do that. Love you, dearies. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. 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 We are back. Back in action. Hello again. Well, that was a day that I really have a sense of accomplishment. So that's something because the busyness of that sense of accomplishment meant the day go by quick. Words. Uh, okay, this concludes Jordan's work talk. Let's move into movie the third, Welcome to the Jungle. As I was waiting to make my turn on the road that takes me forever to turn onto, I was racking my brains and I can't for the life of me think of the name of the movie where Robert Downey Jr. was in blackface, uh, Owen Wilson, I think, was in it. What is that called? Tropic Thunder! Oh, man. That hit me like lightning, which is ironic because the movie was called Tropic Thunder. And the, and the name of the movie hit me like lightning. So, that's uh, something. That is something. Well, did I even say the name of this movie yet? Welcome to the Jungle. It is called. This one kind of, uh, for me anyways, and I think for many like me, went a little bit under the radar. Like, I didn't really hear anything about it until all of a sudden, bam, I kept hearing about it. About it? About it, left, right, and center. Everywhere I turned, people were talking about it. So I had to experience it for myself. What is on most people's lips when talking of this is, of course, Jean-Claude Van Damme's (laughs) role in this movie. Which is, he's not, like, he's got a fairly sizable role, I I suppose, but he's not, like, the main character in it. It's not like a, a... full-flight, 90s, 80s, Jean-Claude Van Damme action flick by any means. No, no, no. The story is involving Adam Brody, who's working for a company, kind of a 
doesn't really matter what they do kind of company like in the office where they sold paper products. This might as well be a company that sells paper products for all I know and remember. It don't matter. What does matter is that uh, they've decided to sign the company up for a retreat in which the employees will go to a tropical island and sort of fend for themselves what I believe you would call a team building exercise. I've never worked at a company where anything like this took place, no team building exercises, no uh, retreats of any kind. I think it's only, or at least I assume it's only in sort of multi-multi-billion dollar companies that sort of do this kind of thing. Am I correct in that assumption? I don't know. If you, listening to this, have ever done one of these retreat-type things, be it for a day or for some days or what have you, uh, let me know. I'd like to hear how that whole sort of thing goes. Is it a good thing? Are you getting paid for it? Are you out there with friends having a good time? Or is it horrible and one of the worst experiences you've ever gone through in your entire life? Like this one, presumably, was for some of these people. For the reason that shit starts going awry from moment one. First of all, the plane that they take to this island is a rickety piece of garbage. Humorously so, which I should perhaps say. On that note, this is a comedy. Because I, I have a feeling all the Jean-Claude Van Damme talk may have made you think it is not a comedy, but it is indeed firmly entrenched in the comedy genre, as evidenced by Rob Hubel, who is a comedian of a very, very funny sort. On the note of Adam Brody and Rob Hubel and Jean-Claude Van Damme, this is a fairly sizable cast, as is my want on a Movie Monday episode. I haven't really written down every single person within the cast, because, well, you have IMDb for things such as that. You don't really need my help. It's not what I'm here for. Uh, as soon as I get on the island, the captain dies. Just, well, I don't know, old age. <laughs> he was a rickety-looking thing himself, much like his plane. So how do they get off of this thing? Um, I don't know. They, they don't, to be 100% homage with you. Uh, immediately, <laughs> freakishly fast, in fact, uh, it sort of degrades into a Lord of the Flies type scenario where Adam Brody is among the rational human beings and Rob Hubel, just so good. Rob Hubel, uh, I, I, it's hard to say because Jean-Claude Van Damme does a very good job at stealing the show when he is there, but when he's not there and uh, and Rob Hubel is... He steals the show. A lot of show stealing going on here. He's on the sort of uh, screw society, let's erupt into chaos and do what we want when we want, bring on the orgies, that sort of idea. And I do mean literal orgies. Part of it has to do with the fact that, uh, I'm not sure if we learn it right off the bat or later on down the road, that he quote-unquote found coffee on the island. And... Uh, I don't know if he was doing it on purpose or what, but mixed in with this coffee uh, for flavoring is a sort of narcotic, uh, I forget what it was called, it's something probably you've even heard of. So he has all his, I guess you would call followers, on this drug throughout their stay on the island, and that's why they kind of do his bidding, no matter how crazy, including building a friggin' giant wicker-looking statue in his image. 
sort of my favorite part of this is how quickly they degrade into like cavemen. And it's been a couple of days, and they're some of them are talking like strange bird in sky, strange metal bird in sky, and it turns out being a plane. Hmm, yes. <laughs> and then Adam Brody's like, uh, you realize we've only been on the island a couple of days. That's that's a plane. You do remember planes. And they're all just kind of befuddled, humorously so. Obviously, on an island of the deserted variety, when two groups emerge, they're going to have to battle one another! Yeah. Uh, luckily, Jean-Claude Van Damme is on the side of, let's just call it, good and order, with Adam Brody. Adam Brody, who was apparently a Boy Scout, an Eagle Scout, which I... I think is a very high rank he can attain in the Boy Scouts or some such. Anyway, so he knows his shit pretty good, so they have that going for them. Because the radio in the plane is dead, they need to infiltrate the enemy camp where Rob Hubel and all his crazy people are. So with the help of not so much Jean-Claude Van Damme for spoiler alert, he's actually not the tough guy he is portraying in this movie. He's kind of a little bit of a scammer with this whole retreat thing. There's a scene where he fights a tiger and, you know, does okay with that, but uh, he's not sort of super, super army dude like he's pretending to be. Anyways, uh, they have to infiltrate to get radio parts to repair a radio they found in an abandoned bunker, yada yada. Some of them eventually are captured, so Adam Brody decides that he's gonna make a paraglide suit thing out of parts, because he knows how to do that for some reason. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that sets it up for a sort of Thunderdome, two-man-enter, one-man-leave fight between Adam Brody and Rob Hubel. Rob Hubel, at this point, he's kind of regretting the situation he has put himself in, as far as setting himself up as a god among these mortals and has to sort of play along, despite the fact that he doesn't really want to hurt anyone. So it's a kind of a, a strange take on a, on a bad guy. A bad guy who's like, eh, you know what, I don't really want to kill you, but these people expect it, so off with his head. There's, of course, uh, some love interests as well, among people's loving things. So throw that in there, why not? And all in all, a very good and humorous movie, and I would definitely, definitely sign up for more movies with Jean-Claude Van Damme in a comedic role. He is just very, very good, spot on. Rob Hubel, Adam Brody, all the other actual comedic people, incredibly funny as well, but you expect that, whereas with Jean-Claude Van Damme, you don't so much expect him to have with the laughs, but he does. Rating, I'm going to go 4 out of 5. Yeah, solid, solid 4 out of 5. Guaranteed some 5 out of 5 moments and laughs for Shizzy. My Shizzy? Huh? What? Okay, uh, what I should do now is move into the fourth and final movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. If you are listening to this through the Podbean website that hosts this, and not through, say, iTunes or one of the other sources, and click on Wolf of Wall Street, you'll get a very interesting surprise. And that's all I'm going to say. It's like a tease. A tease. 
Mm, interesting. Wolf of Wall Street. Okay, so a uh, professional rating. I think I can go five out of five fairly easily with not too, too much hesitation. That is a convoluted rating, but it is my rating. Really, really like this one. Uh, I went in with fairly high expectations, so that's why maybe there's a moment hesitation of giving it a five out of five, but uh, for the most part, all expectations met. <laughs> Something very strange about this, and I don't know if I've ever experienced this before, you are unfamiliar with this story, the main character's name is Jordan. Jordan Belfort. My name is Jordan, not Belfort. The, the weirdness comes in characters within this movie repeatedly saying Jordan, and I've never, I don't think I've ever experienced that in a movie where the main character's name was Jordan, so it was an odd experience that made me sort of pay more attention, I think, just hearing my name all the time. Very, very strange. This is the true story, or presumably very much loosely based on the true story, of uh, Jordan Belfort, who in the 80s and 90s, was it into the 90s? Yeah, I think it was into the 90s, uh, did some shady things as far as the stock market. What those things are kind of don't really make sense to me. Uh, I don't 100% get where all the legal legal and illegal things come into play. Uh, I suppose I can boil it down, and that is he was selling stocks at a big company. The stocks he was selling were for like uh, really large companies like your IBMs and your your Apples and things of that name. Things of that nature. Blue chip, I believe they would call them stocks. Or maybe not blue chip. Uh, that, that might mean something else. Anyway, stocks in very, very large companies. When they sold these stocks, when he sold these stocks, they would get a commission of 1%, maybe 2% on the selling of the stocks. So these stocks cost a lot of money. They would sell, you know, a fair amount of them, so they would make a decent win. The stock market crashed. He then had to sort of scrimp and scrape by until he came to the realization that there exist what are called penny stocks. So these are stocks and companies that are small. So almost a lot of them had a feel of kind of mom and pop operation. So how is he going to make money selling these little stocks that are worth a lot less money? Well, the commission he gets on those is like 50%, which you can do the math. If he is able to sell these stocks and gets half of what he sells, uh, it's much, much easier to make money despite the fact that the stocks are left. It's all math, math things. If you've listened to enough of these podcasts, you will know my contempt for math. I don't know if contempt is the right word, but dislike, definitely, for the reason that I am and my brain will not do math. My brain will not do math like a normal human being and uh, just really, really bad at it. Straight D's the entire way through in every math class I ever took. And I, and I don't think they were D's of... Uh, well, you know what? He got a D, so he got a D. I think they were Ds of, well, you know what? He's a nice guy. Let's just pass him anyways. Maybe he'll do better next year. Those sort of Ds. So math bad, and I don't like. I used to have a saying about math class in high school, and without a word of lie, uh, I think the saying is still true to this day, and it was, I would rather drink piss 
than do math class, than be in math class. And, uh, and I meant it. I did mean it. I don't know whose piss it was. Presumably it was my own. Yeah, let's say it was my own. That, that makes that a little more believable. So I kind of ignored the math parts of this movie. Not that there's a lot of it. And the, the law, the law around all this kind of thing, that's a little dry as well, I suppose. But where it sort of really gets my interest is the goddamn friggin' partying like crazy people. I love a good party. A party like Mad Men people. Very, very much the feel of fear and loathing in Las Vegas. If you watch that movie and watch this movie back to back, eerily similar, I think, in a lot of areas. Just in, in terms of tone and sort of drugs, drug-related talk. Maybe not specifics of drugs, but when they are talking drugs, the talk, the tone of the talk is crazy similar. You know what's funny? Uh, I just realized I wrote in my notes here, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas plus American Hustle plus Wall Street plus Scarface equals this movie. I've never seen the movie Wall Street, but I presume the sort of money and legal stuff is very similar, so that's why I wrote that. Scarface, not so much for the action and the guns, or really at all, more just because it was coke, cocaine, and just some of the hijinks that these guys get up to has to be seen to be believed. And even after you see it, you probably won't believe it. Uh, although I did hear, and I forget where, that uh, I think it was on a late night talk show talking not to Leonardo DiCaprio, but to, oh uh, shit, what the hell is his name? Did I write it down? I can't remember his name. And I don't have time to think about it, unfortunately. Anyways, uh, talking that some of these stories were under-exaggerated. So, uh, like, the, I think the one they spoke of was the plane. There's a scene where it's basically a drug-fueled orgy on a plane. Uh, it was for his uh, bachelor party. My bachelor party, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. I had a lot of fun. But it was not a drug-fueled orgy on a plane, which, uh, you know, looks like fun. I suppose. Try everything once, right? The main FBI guy in this is kind of cut and dry, not really very interesting. I, I wish he had a, maybe a little more of a personality. The actor who played him did a fine job, I suppose, but uh, that would be perhaps my one... It's not even a gripe, it's just the part that he had, there wasn't really much to work with. So, that's something, I suppose. Uh, just about at home, so we'll have to wrap this up. Highly recommend this movie, especially if you liked my math there involving what this movie reminds me of. I, I think that's a good starting point, that if you like those movies, you will like this movie. Uh, my final thought is sort of a question, and it's with movies like this, American Hustle, this, anything involving sort of financial things, Wall Street, I presume, does anyone ever get away with this kind of thing? Like an actual real life. It's always in the movies, they always get caught, but those are movies. So in real life, are people sort of super, super smart enough? I, I presume you got to be very smart to not get caught doing these sort of hijinks. These, uh, these illegal financial type hijinks of any kind. Can they go years and years and make millions? In this case, it was billions. And not get caught. And that is, a, that's like an actual, genuine question. Because I, 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 I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. And, and I almost don't have an opinion. Like, I think it's movies. So uh, that's showing that you'll never get caught. Or, sorry, that you'll always get caught. 
But then real life is not like movies. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. So if you know, I'll, I'll tell you this. If you are making billions of dollars doing something financially shady and are not getting caught, email me to the address provided in the closing credits. And uh, let me know about it. And, uh, you know, I won't blackmail you, I swear. Folks, that is the end of this Movie Monday episode. I will say one final thing, as I do from time to time, and that is, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address. Mailwood.jordan at gmail.com And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway Wait till our lips have met Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine? The best is yet to come, come the day you're mine Live long and prosper.